What do you do when you realize that you're a woman trapped in a man's body? What do you do when you realize the man you married is a woman? In this series, we reflect on our past to discuss how we got here and explore where we can go from this point moving forward. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of The Rage. My name is Jennifer Termini. And I'm Callista Termini. And today we have a very special guest, our first guest ever, Ms. <laughs> Elizabeth Weiner. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So um, I wanted to share that Liz is like one of our closest friends. So this is super, super exciting for me. So if I kind of geek out a little bit, it's just because I'm- As opposed like, to- I'm chills, I'm excited. As opposed to normal? Quiet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't get this excited probably. Okay, I'm probably right. more subdued. Hmm. So um, before we jump into it, did, I want Liz to just tell us who you are and what yeah, you do and what sure. you specialize in. Yeah. So we're actually here in my office today, which is really fun for me. This is uh, Canyon Creek Family Counseling and I'm an LMFT here and the founder. And Wait, can, we're, I, can I stop you and ask you what, what is that? Is? Yes. Licensed marriage and family therapist. And uh, we're a group practice here. We offer a lot of trauma healing modalities. So we do EMDR, SE, I know I can't define all of these right now. Brain spotting, I specialize primarily in trauma as well as uh, working with eating disorders and supporting all diverse populations. So we see all kinds of ages and stages in this room, yeah. Very cool. It yeah. is a beautiful office, and we're excited to be outside of our normal <laughs> environment, right? Me especially, since it's where I live. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so did you have any questions that you wanted to talk? Oh, did we even say what we're talking about today? No. <laughs> so sorry, folks. We are talking about attachment styles and trauma healing, right? Is that kind of, does it... Dovetail, or is it just attachment styles? I would say, well, I will defer to Liz, but I think it's attachment style as it shows up in um, in trauma with clients. And so as a trauma-informed therapist, Liz is going to go over with us um, what those different types are, as well as, you know, specifically as it relates to the content on the show. I know that we had talked about um, what does that mean and how does it show up differently for different populations, specifically sure. the LGBTQ plus population? Sure, and I think just the overall you know, conversation about gender and attachment and how that, is there an interplay and how does it show up? So um, first I guess we should define what is this word attachment? Yes, what is please. this all about? Okay, so we have uh, an attachment style and it's not like blue eyes or brown eyes. So I think it's really important to know that you're not kind of stuck with whatever it is. Um, you can actually have a little combo pack. You can have a little of this and a little of that. And it can evolve throughout life based on the decisions that you make and the relationships that you're involved in. And you really, the primary caregivers set the stage for your attachment style. So uh, often it's, you know, pretty well on its way as a toddler, you know, but there can be significant events, more to your point, Callista, later in life, like for a person, you know, maybe if they're transitioning or they're coming out, like how the primary, you know, loved ones, the family, the friends, how they respond can impact the attachment style as well. So we have, 
you know, what we don't see that often is this, the totally securely attached individual, which, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to marry into a family with a lot of securely attached individuals, which is a pretty good way to get yourself more securely attached. Um, and then we have the other three are more in the insecurely attached variety. So we have what I have a lot of experience with, which is the <laughs> avoidant attachment style. So this can show up when a caregiver might be critical, might be dismissing, might not respond well to a little person's needs. It can start even as young as, you know, being a baby. Um, like for me, I had a lot of worry about my son. I have a son and, uh, you know, I had some postpartum depression when he was born and it was like, I was stressed, you know, I was nervous. And so if he were to cry, I might not have always responded with the most like nurturing, soothing response, right? Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of nervousness about that. Is this child gonna grow up to have, um, you know, some idea of I need to fix it all myself. Like I, my voice doesn't matter and I can't get my needs met. So I have to become this super independent, competent person all on my own. Uh, luckily, luckily, we have, again, the securely attached parent in the household, and then me moving more and more towards secure attachment every year, um, and then me knowing a lot about how to repair the ruptures. So luckily, I have a securely attached human in my house. Yay! You know, <laughs> as you're talking, I, of course, I'm sitting there thinking about my attachment style and maybe Calista's attachment style, and I'm thinking I have a great relationship with my mom, mm -hmm. so I feel really secure in that but I have more of a dicey relationship with my dad. So I feel insecure in that relationship. Sure. So like when you said, does it, you're worried that your child would need to fix everything and be controlling of everything and be in charge. I, I do that. Mm. And that's probably because I have a combo package of secure combo and pack. insecure. And yeah. we all do actually. So, you know, as Liz is going over, she's gone into uh, one of the three insecure types. Mm -hmm. um, we all have that and they also show up in different ways. Like how does it show up in our friendships versus our intimate relationships versus as Liz was talking about her relationship with a young infant. Um, so they do show up in different ways depending on what is the model uh, that was given to us at a younger age that imprinted how we now show up as an adult. And that, that can change, right? Like well, you don't, absolutely. Yeah. You're that's not stuck the, with anything. No, that's as, the thing that gives yeah. me so much hope. And that's why I focus on attachment a lot in this work. Um, so then moving on, we have the ambivalent or anxious attachment style. So this is a person who leans in a lot, kind of maybe there's a lot of behaviors and, and things that are designed to gain the attention of the other person, but then when the other person might give that attention, they might back off because they don't totally trust it. So it's really this like leaning in and then having a threat response. So, you know, uh, you know, avoid, what is the word? Approach avoid. It's like this constant conflict of approach avoid. I heard someone I say I hate something. you, don't leave me. You've heard that phrase, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, yeah, She's always ahead. telling me I'm interrupting. <laughs> you got excited. Go I ahead. I got excited. <laughs> go I did. Um, I was listening to another podcast, and they were talking about where people want to love bomb their partner. They're so mm -hmm. in love with love, but then as soon as they get that love, they freak out and pull back and that run away. It. Is that, that it? Be it. Mm -hmm. And what attachment style is that? Insecure. That's yeah, so insecure. that's that anxious or ambivalent. So there's different terms that have been used by different therapists and such. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that's that one. That's a tough one to be in. It is a really tough one. In fact, um, 
what usually ends up happening is that people like that, like you said, that love bomb, the person that they're going after is not receptive mm. to it. Um, and it's almost as if it's a game. Like if I can just get this person to love me and then I'll feel great. But interestingly enough, when it's someone who is emotionally available, they don't they don't find those people interesting. So they never go after the person who's actually open to receiving that. That's yeah, because you identify the threat with love. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to take a stab at what your attachment style is? Oh, well, you know, certainly the ambivalent style is one that I had for a long time and it was pointed out to me. And so when I was bringing that up before, I was uh, talking out of my own experience of chasing after people and having this idealized romanticism of what that relationship's going to look like once I finally win them over. But the people who were emotionally available who were right in front of me saying, right, she got me. Right. But I had actually to do my own work before I was willing to recognize like, hey, this is a safe person. This is a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And to um, ignore the imprinting that had gone on. And, you know, I've talked about this before, getting out of our comfort zone so that we are not doing things that... um, you know, because it feels comfortable, meaning that uh, we may not like it, but it's what we're used to. So we have to recognize that when it doesn't feel right, but logically we know, hey, this person is emotionally available. Mm-hmm. I have to recognize that that discomfort is growth and not actually fear. And unfortunately, we associate discomfort with fear far too often, and it keeps us from having what we really want. We have to get comfortable with being very uncomfortable to to be able to evolve. So I think a good way to differentiate those two insecure attachment styles is one is an over-focus on self. So like for me, I, and you know this, because you're, you know, you you two both probably know this, that I'm a person who kind of like does too much for myself sometimes, maybe doesn't ask for help as much as I should. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. So there's this focus on self. And then the other one is the focus on the other and constantly like how do I make them this and that right so um, that's how you differentiate those and then there's the disorganized attachment which is when you've had a very unpredictable experience as a little person and as a growing person where you may have a parent like I said you know with the the postpartum like best intentions right so maybe mostly available but then sometimes really not available and kind of not knowing the rules to the game Um, So that can be really uncomfortable or like dealing with cis normative expectations from parents, right? Like they might have all the love in the world, but be placing these expectations that say like you're not supposed to be you, you know, so that can set you up for kind of a disorganized attachment where you're not really sure what do I do in this situation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious um, as it relates to um, many of the people who have uh, given us feedback and comments that may be struggling with their own gender identity that are in intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for them, if there's this sense that they can't be themselves in their relationship because of their attachment, what would you say would be like a good way for them to start bringing some mindfulness and awareness to that? Yeah, so I think with something like that, what you're gonna experience is that there may be more ruptures in the relationship that don't need to be there. So for both parties to really learn how to co-regulate 
For example, maybe just entering into an intimate environment together or an intimate situation could bring up some fear, like, oh my gosh, please don't really see me. I don't know if I'm doing it right, you know. Um, so I would really invite that couple, that pair, or even friends, you know, like maybe just to hold an eye gaze, you know, and to just talk about what is it like to feel this, right? To feel this connection. Or maybe when you come home, you know, holding a hug and embrace until you feel both nervous systems settle. We used to do that. Did you? I said, remember we would, you would come home, I'd be home, she'd come home from work and uh, she would go straight to the computer or straight to whatever. And I said, we need to <laughs> stop what we're doing, both of us and get up and give each other a hug. Do you remember that? And we started that tradition after we got married mm -hmm. that we would, no matter who was home, the, the person that came in the door, you stopped and you got up and you greeted them mm -hmm. with a hug. Yes. And, th and that was a very grounding thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> I was just we thinking about the fact that it used to be the full body hug. Like, you know, if it was full body, you know, full press on press, yeah. it mm -hmm. was like, things are good. If it was just sort oh, of like the triangle hug, yeah. awkward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah if it, if What's wrong? Bellies were yeah. smashed together. Well, that then. makes sense because this is our most vulnerable parts, right? <laughs> yes. So we don't we guard them if we're not feeling really safe. So mm -hmm. actually having that like chest to chest, belly to belly hug makes a big difference because it it's letting the other person know I feel safe enough to like, open my arms and bring you in. So come on in. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you're right. It does regulate your nervous system. Yeah. It's like when my cat Jam Jam gets on me and I'm stressed out, mm -hmm. I immediately feel my heart rate slow. Yeah, I feel my baby. breath. It's just so relaxing and comforting. He's my therapy cat. <laughs> he is. Yeah. So are there any more styles of attachment? That's the whole enchilada. So, you know, we're just, we're always, we're always evolving. We're always looking for ways. I mean, I'm going to just kind of be really vulnerable here and say, Jen, you were a friend who came into my life that I actively chose to reach out to because you have that emotional intelligence and- Ding, 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 I think that about you too. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Calista, you and I got to know each other on a more intimate level a little bit later on. Yeah. And I would say that now that's the case. Like I know there's this consistency in the friendship. I know. You know, like if there was going to be any kind of a rupture, I just kind of know in my heart that it would be repaired. So there's this sense of safety in the friendship, mm -hmm. which I think we can all say we don't always feel in all of our friendships. Very true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I have chills because it's so true. I mean, yeah. you and I did just recently have a little misunderstanding. We did. I was wondering if you were going to. Yeah, I wasn't up. going to, but we had a little <laughs> hiccup, and it was just a misunderstanding. And both of us were just like completely shocked because we couldn't understand the other side, which uh, doesn't point of happen view. often. Yeah. But then we realized, like, it's all good. Like, we, yeah. we know each other. We love each other. A misunderstanding. It, we just have to talk it through, and it and it settled, and everything's fine. But your to your point, I always knew in my heart that we would get to the bottom of it, you sure. know. I mean, yeah. it just happened like yesterday. It wasn't like a month ago, but you know, we kind of went, Which oh. just doesn't really happen often. Yeah. I don't think it's ever yeah. happened. Yeah. Ever, 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 ever. Yeah. yeah, so we did good. And then in fact, Jen was like <laughs> asking me, she's like, so what do you think? Like, what did I do? And I was oh. definitely playing like therapist and yeah. being like, you have to recognize like, okay, what did you do? Did you clean up your mess? Did you apologize? Great, well then let Liz sit with her feelings. She needs to process too. And, yeah. and you know, Does. you were looking for, I, I felt well, like I was like, I want to make it better because it was a misunderstanding. Yeah. And well, just because I care. Like, I was like, I'm not letting this friendship go down no, over a misunderstanding. No, like, never. No. Yeah, so. No. Yeah. 
but there are those that will. So we just have to be mindful about who we bring into the fold and who we spend a lot of time mm -hmm. with because it will impact our attachment style and how it continues to develop throughout mm -hmm. lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's there's those sensitive periods, like coming back to the topic of this podcast, there's those sensitive periods of like coming out and transitioning and, and the primary attachment figures that we really spend the most time with in those sensitive you know, periods of our life can really set us up for a more secure attachment, um, you know, less internalized homophobia, less internalized transphobia, super important role that those individuals play. And, you know, they can get it wrong and they often do in the beginning. And it's more about can they repair it? You know, mm -hmm. can they come back? Do you have a secure base, a foundation already built, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have that secure foundation, then the ruptures can, even those huge ruptures, you know, misgendering and, you know, the pronoun thing. Oh my gosh. I work <laughs> with so many young people and sitting with their families and hearing in 50 minutes how many times someone can use the incorrect pronoun. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. <laughs> so, yeah. but you know, if you have the strong foundation and you have the secure attachment, they're kind of, budding in the family style, then I think everybody can get through that process pretty successfully. What do you see um, in terms of the, you know, the clients that you work with that are on the LGBTQ spectrum um, as being the, in terms of attachment, what would you say is the most difficult type of attachment um, mm. situation? You know, I mean, I... I feel like anything that creates adversity in your life is going to make you more um, have bigger attachment needs, right? So like if you're facing a lot of discrimination in, in your peer group, in your teacher group, in your coach, you know, certainly churches, but I've seen a lot of that, right? Sorry to the truth, but you know, this community. <laughs> well, so, sure. They, yeah. They're very rigid. It's a really tough one because that's your whole family. That's like, you know, we've got kids that are going away to summer camps and they look forward to that all year. And then once they're coming out or transitioning, they just don't have that same welcoming experience. So the attachment needs get bigger and therefore the primary caregivers need to kind of rise to that occasion. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the challenge, but I don't, I don't subscribe to attachment styles and gender really having that much correlation mm -hmm. aside from, you know, socially implied idea. There's, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like the social norms and expectations. The, the social pressure. And the pressure. That mm -hmm. if you're going to present with more, you know, quote unquote masculine traits, then you have to be more avoidant mm -hmm. because like, I don't care, I'm tough, you know. The stereotype. The yeah. stereotype. Sure. Or if you're going to present with more traditionally feminine tr traits that you have to be, oh, you know, I just, I, I just need to be the apple of his eye or whatever, yeah. right? You know, and you have to worry slightest. about the other. Mm -hmm. So now we're in anxious or if we're trying to lean towards the stereotypical masculine, then we just worry about ourselves and we don't care what anyone thinks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the only, the only place that I really think gender plays into attachment. Mm -hmm. uh, but it definitely, the process of, you know, being supported through those transitions, that has a lot to do with attachment. So I'm blanking on which was the attachment style, which was the push and pull. That's that ambivalent yes, attachment style. Yes, and also the disorganized. And disorganized. Because you're kind of flip-flopping. Okay. Because mm -hmm. I think, like, as I think back about, you know, my transition, and certainly I was a late bloomer in that respect, and so much of the ambivalent um, 
attachment style that I had growing up from one of my particular uh, parents um, played a big role in that. And so the need for me as someone who always needed um, external validation, that idea of loss, that I'm going to lose the people and lose the things, lose my community, um, played such a big role in that because, again, it's like we... And again, I've seen this happen, not just with me, but with so many other people in my community of that fear of losing everything and, and then feeling very alone, feeling very abandoned. And I would even say for the whole family system, yeah. there's so much actual loss and yeah. fear of loss as well. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. Jennifer, you certainly <laughs> went yes, through. Yes, what? Yeah. No, you yes. certainly went through, you know, a loss and... With, with you? Yeah, and the ways that, you know, your coping mechanisms, some of which were not very fun. What, what do you mean? Mine was definitely avoidant. Like, I mm -hmm. wanted to run. I wanted to travel. I, I was here to... for it. We yeah. were traveling. <laughs> That's right. Liz was, well, Liz was one of the very first people that I called because she's a therapist. She's a close friend, and I knew that I could get sage advice from her, and she wouldn't judge, and she's, you know, an ally, and she would be totally cool to Callista. So I knew that you were a, a good person to contact. And where did we go? Did we go to Mammoth? Well, I, yeah, I think it was just little road trips. But, you know, I'm thinking in my lifetime, I've had a lot of grief and loss. And, like, to run, to flee, this is a really normal, common response, yeah, right? I, I like, I'm not did. quite ready to figure this out. Let me just, like, yeah. it let was me bail out for a minute. It was and, like, get my head together. Yeah, even, yeah. With, even with my current girlfriend, um, in the beginning, we had some pretty big blowouts and um, she was staying with me and I wanted to leave my apartment <laughs> and I would literally get in my car and leave and I would go and I would park in front of our old place and I would just ball oh yeah oh, and I would man. just ball my eyes out oh, yeah that's sad because it was like yeah just missing you know that sense of loss yes, and feeling yes. very you know like um uh untethered yeah. So you were going to say that my style was unpleasant. What style were oh. you referring to? Um, definitely, avoid, definitely avoidant. Um, you know, I mean, it doesn't necessarily attachment style. It was just how you coped with it was um, emotional dissociation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was not fun, considering how emotionally close we had been. And then all of a sudden to sort of see how quickly that just turned off that was survival we've yes, talked about this before yeah. i was a hundred percent drowning in my fear and my thoughts and my emotions and i in order to to survive i just had to shut it all down otherwise i would have just been crying and doing nothing so yeah. i think this is true for any family too you know going through any kind of separation you know that it takes a while to come back to it because there is so much to figure out also mm -hmm. you know there's just where are we going to live? What are we going to do? Oh, right? Yeah, like there's was... so many really important logistical considerations that are massive. Yeah. And sometimes you kind of do have to prioritize those before you can figure out what's going on with your emotions. So. And I put mm -hmm. our daughter first because I was so scared about where we were going to live. Mm -hmm. I was so scared about everything. I didn't know what you were going to do. I am getting worried about time. Oh, don't worry. I got, got, I got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was so worried about your health and well-being, your mental health. I didn't know the state of your mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, I was worried about Athena. And I just was like, I can't deal with this. 
It was intense. It was an intense time. But look at you now. I know. You you could write a book. I mean, you have got the co-parenting on lock. (laughs) Love it. Very, very pleased to see how you all have pulled through this. And I think it was, a lot of it was the emotional intelligence, the secure base, because Mm -hmm. you were ultimately really close friends. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, so you have really... never went away. Yeah, I think, you know, bringing a lot of that secure attachment into it has allowed you to get to where you are today. And it's beautiful to be witnessing and to be sitting here on your podcast. Thank you. You You know, so for the people who are watching us and are worried about Mm -hmm. what may happen, I think... um, you know, we did have, Jennifer and I certainly had to do a lot of work uh, to love each other and be respectful of each other through our own individual process. Um, and it was difficult, as, you know, we've mentioned in previous episodes, too. But um, I think it's safe to say that being on the other side of that, I can only speak for myself. I'm certainly a much happier person. And yeah. that has nothing to do with the marriage. That just happens. Yeah, it has more are. to do with me being me, but that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for you. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm happy, not happy. You know, like, I'm everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we're a mixed bag sometimes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, but, no I'm, but I'm completely happy for you, and I'm happy that we are friends, and I'm so happy yeah. that we can, like, do this podcast together and that we can laugh and talk. People are always saying in the comments, you two are like like sisters. You two are just <laughs> bantering back and forth, and it's the like... Banta. But that's, that's true. That's what, that's what I enjoy, so mm-hmm. that is way improved. I would much rather be bantering and goofing around with you Agreed. than when you were sad and reclused before. Oh, so yes. I know, I know I feel so much closer to you now. Like it's just so wonderful because I think you really opened up to the world mm-hmm. when you weren't in that, you know, dysphoric state anymore. So Absolutely. I feel very happy to really get to know you finally. I that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, since well, the we real all, Callista, please stand up. She did. She did. She <laughs> yes, put, girl. She put her boots on. <laughs> she walked that walk. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Liz, thank you so much for thank doing you. this. It was really it was just really so fun. sweet of you. Yeah. Can we ever ask you to come back and talk about other subjects? Would you be open I'd to that? I'd love to, yes. Let's Yay. talk about trauma. That's yes. a fun topic it for everyone. Is. It is. <laughs> and there is a lot of trauma in the community. Yeah, so. and building all the time. So it's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. um, yeah, thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, if you like what you saw, hit that subscribe button below wherever it is yes please comment and like and share and join us on patreon we would appreciate it yeah thank you and we'll see you next time thanks for watching everyone bye bye thank you for tuning into the rage if you haven't done so already please hit the like share and subscribe button now we truly appreciate all your wonderful support find us on social media at the rage episodes and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Want to get more involved? Join us on Patreon. Supporters receive extra benefits as well as access to member-only content. Thanks again and have a beautiful day.